Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Maury Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sarah Blakemore. And coming up on the Gifted Life today. We'll be talking about the transformation that took place when one baby received the gift of sight. And we're going to talk about how therapeutic laughter can be for stress. All that more coming up on this episode of the Gifted Life. Stay tuned. Here on The Gifted Life, we'd like to introduce you to some new friends. We have DeLaria Dunlap. She's the mom of a pediatric corneal transplant recipient, a thriving five-year-old. Huh, Mom? Yes, ma'am. I love it. And we're also uh, pleased to introduce you to Kyle Maven. He's the Interim Executive Director of Southern Eye Bank. We appreciate you joining us, too, sir. Yeah, thank you for the invite. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and we have a lot to talk about and to dissect here um, on The Gifted Life. But, Mom, uh, we want to talk to you first. So tell us about uh, this five-year-old, this advanced Mm -hmm. five-year-old we're learning, right? Tell us her name and and tell us how she's doing. My daughter is Ari Dunlap. She is five years old. She's in pre-K. She had her transplant done um, when she was two years old, and she is just a ball of life. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's been amazing to see how strong she's been uh, with all the surgery she's had. So it's just been a journey for us. Oh, and we were um, championing you as well, Mom, because there were signs early on, uh, right after she was born, that you started noticing right? And can you walk us through how we got to where you are today, that she is a a transplant recipient of the gift of sight? Uh, Yes, ma'am. When she was born, she was like, uh, I want to say about eight pounds, six ounces, a perfectly healthy baby. Um, About six months into her birth, I started noticing a change in her eyes. And we went to her pediatrician And she sent us to the eye doctor. And when we first went, he looked and he he said he didn't quite notice anything. Um, And so it still didn't sit right with me. So I took her back to her pediatrician and she sent us back. And immediately the second time we went, he walked in a dark room and we were maybe about uh, 12 feet away from each other. And he looked and he said, oh, ma'am, I'm sorry. Something is wrong with her eye. I'm going to send her to a specialist in Shreveport. And I said, okay. And when we went to the specialist in Shreveport, the next week he scheduled her surgery. Um, I believe he put a stent in her eye. He was saying that her tear duct wasn't producing very well. So she started having surgeries about six months in. and that." Went on up until now. So let me stop you. So a tiny baby, six months old, you have to have these surgeries. And and what I heard from your story is that you noticed and you kept pushing, uh, championing for your, your child. So, um, I mean, I can feel the, the love there. But what was that like for you with these major procedures, it sounds like, on this baby? 
it was scary because um I just I didn't know and and to say she had to have surgery on her eye I didn't know if you know it was a possibility of her being blind how we were going to handle that um and you know in today's society with different changes even adults notice things and they call out things and say things and I didn't know how that would affect her self-esteem. So uh, I just, it was a lot going on. I just didn't know what to say, but thanks to my family who are a very good, strong support system, uh, they're praying, they was like, we'll get through this. We'll know what to do. Then I had an auntie that worked, that was a retired supervisor of special education. So she kind of knew the different things to look for. I'm curious. So as as a, a proud dad of uh, a little one year old, she turned one this past week. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious as to how you were able to pick up on these things. I know we notice things and I'm, I'm thinking about Blakely, my, my daughter. Uh, you know, I, I notice, with, you know, how she plays different or, you know, as she's growing different things, little small mini mile, milestones. But you were able to pick up something that even a doctor, when you brought her to the to an eye doctor, that couldn't pick up. So, what was it, you know, for the, for the listeners that also may have uh, babies out there? What was it that you were able to pick up, you know, that that drew your attention to say that something's clearly wrong? I know, as a parent, when we first um, have children, even though she wasn't my first baby, you know, like they say, when you have kids, you check make sure they have all their fingers, their toes all the marks on them. <laughs> yep. I, it's just, looking at her eyes, it was like they were a perfectly dark brown color. And then one started to slightly turn gray. It's like this, it just slightly starts to turn gray and it would get grayer and grayer. as you know, it looked like every time you looked at her. So that was like really a concern for me. I was like, maybe it's like a reflection but it actually, it wasn't. Wow. So just picking up, you know, that the fact that, you know, that such beautiful brown eyes and then you notice these subtle changes like this. So was there anything with maybe milestones or maybe crawling or sitting or walking that, that you noticed any delays? Did it cause any issues there? No, one thing with that, it didn't. <laughs> and really? and that was, that's what shocked me. Uh, she still was able to crawl. Uh, it just was a fear of her maybe kind of walking into certain things as she began to get older. Um, she became a big help. I mean, she's <laughs> my number one child to go to because um, awesome. she she helps out. She's like a she's like a little mini version of me. She's gonna make sure everybody gets up, they get dressed, they do what they're supposed to do. She helps with laundry. She helps does everything. Uh, but the main concern was, um, I know one time she was helping and she kind of walked into the wall. So that's the only thing, you know, kind of getting her focus on certain things. But other than that, she, she's excelled at everything. And so you you mentioned uh, just a minute ago about her having a surgery and then and then multiple surgeries potential. So at what point did they finally diagnose her 
with primary congenital uh, glaucoma. And and what and what did you think when you heard that? At first, like most people, um, if you're not well educated on it, you're thinking, okay, that only happens with older people. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like a shock to hear that she had uh, glaucoma. And then they say sometimes, you know, that mostly it's hereditary. And nobody in my family had experienced glaucoma. So, you know, I just had to read up on it and educate myself when it came to her diagnosis. Because um, also when she was born, she, uh, when we found that out, she started getting these, like, um, I want to say lesions. She had them on her nose and in her hair. She had one on her leg. um, And she also had... Uh, a heart murmur, like some issues with her heart. So they were trying to connect everything together and say maybe it was something else and and this. And I just, I want to commend her pediatrician because when we brought her in and she looked at her, she made sure she got to the, and connect with the right people. Um, she sent her to a dermatologist uh, to have one of them removed and it came back benign. Um, she had a great heart doctor. Uh, her murmur has closed. Uh, we went to Shreveport and they were kind of like, they told me she needed a transplant. They were kind of like giving me the runarounds. And I came back and I said, look, I told her pediatrician, she asked me how everything was going. I said, I'm, I'm just not pleased. I'm not happy. I said, they keep telling me she needs it, but nobody's telling me exactly when they're going to do it, how it's going to be done. So she said, give me a while and I'm going to look for you, a doctor, a specialist in New Orleans. She said, do you mind traveling? I said, no, ma'am, I don't. When it comes to my child, wherever I need to go. So she put me in touch with uh, Dr. Ellis in New Orleans. And from there, everybody she has come in contact with, it's been great. Mm. So, so for the listeners out there, I'm going to tie in uh, Kyle Maven in here. He's the, uh, as we said earlier, the interim executive director for Southern Eye Bank. So, Kyle, you know, uh, she's talking about glaucoma, and and in her uh, experience in the past, it's a, it's an adult disease, and in also I can tell you, I'm a 25 year. Uh, registered nurse and uh, you know um, kind of the same way I knew there were different causes but in general uh, glaucoma for me is someone that doesn't get a lot of transplants and there's someone that has diabetes and and usually it's a, a you know controlling the diabetes for the for the control of the glaucoma so can you tell us a little bit about this particular disease and how it's different from that of the ones that we always tend to, to uh, think about. Yeah, thanks. And, and you're right. You know, when when our listeners hear the word glaucoma, they think of, you know, an older aunt and uncle, uh, grandparents, you know, and, and we very rarely hear, um, you know, the story of, of what Ari has experienced. Uh, so, yeah, primary congenital glaucoma um, is uh, it's developed at, at birth and typically is not related to any other disease. Um, it's usually a primary condition. And uh, again, the word congenital just meaning that it's a, it's present at the time of birth. And 
Uh, Ari, Ari's uh, story is really very similar to what uh, a lot of the physicians, ophthalmologists see is that it can be diagnosed between the ages of three to six months, but it can be as late as being diagnosed as three years old. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that uh, it's awesome that uh, Ari's family is able to get and connect with the doctors in Shreveport and then get into a specialist down in, in New Orleans, Dr. Ellis. So can you tell us a little bit about why generally glaucoma patients, the older glaucoma patients don't, as, as at least in my experience, don't typically get transplants as one of the first resorts uh, and why it would have been necessary for Ari? Uh, typically with uh, older onset glaucoma, they're able to uh, begin to see the pressure in the eye begin to build and their first route is to go to medication. So they'll begin with drops and these drops actually slow the production of the fluid that's being built up in the eye. And um, typically they see great results from those drops uh, in older patients. And so the patients then can kind of slow or slow that progress down. And then they, they will go to the uh, shunt that or the stent that uh, Delirious mentioned. And that's kind of a one-way valve. They'll insert that in a surgical procedure. And what that does is once the eye reaches a certain pressure of amount of fluid, it'll begin to kind of push through this one-way valve and then that fluid just gets placed into a tear duct and the, uh, the recipient or the patient kind of, it just kind of comes out as a natural tear every so often. Um, and then the final step uh, would be a cornea transplant. And that would be due to the pressure of the back of the eye. It then begins to shift the multiple um, parts of the eye and begins to put pressure on the cornea, which is the front part of the eye. So for when you have a baby or a child, it, does that just happen quicker for them, like the transplant part? Yeah, uh, in my experience, that's that's true. You know, they definitely a child, you know, is is precious, and they want to try to preserve that sight as quickly, but in the in the appropriate time as well. So they're um, they're going to be monitoring that a lot closer. Again, it's more of a early onset, and they they recognize it right away. Where in adults, it's very slow progressing, and so they can they can kind of treat it a little differently and have a little slower steps to it in an adult. But in a pediatric. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna look at a little bit more of an urgent um, kind of an urgent path and try one thing if it doesn't work over over course of a few months they're gonna move towards that transplant just to again to preserve the child's sight. So in the case of a of you know even an Ari but a, a pediatric uh, patient needing a transplant so does that have to be so does the donor have to match similarly in age? Or is, is that pretty irrelevant? Uh, is it more just a quality of, of the cornea itself? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's really surgeon preference. So some, some surgeons like to have uh, a close-in-age donor tissue to do their surgery, but it's not necessary. Like you said, it's more focused on the quality of tissue. So we can, um, we can recover and offer tissue that could be maybe uh, between the ages of 30 and 60 and have very high quality tissue and the surgeon can then go ahead and match the size um, by doing some surgical procedure to, to match it to the to pediatric recipient. Now, Delaria, did you know anything about corneal transplant or donation before Ari and before she developed this congenital disease? 
I knew absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> I just, I knew cornea transplant was possible. I didn't know exactly how or where it came from or, or anything. Um, so when I talked to, I believe we saw Dr. Lena, Dr. Lena, um, actually, when she went to Dr. Ellis, he did a procedure. And from there, Dr. Ellis said he was going to call me into an adult specialist, which is Dr. Lena. So Ari, I believe, may have been her first child she had to see. Um, and as well for Dr. Shaw. Uh, it's been like, she's been my little experiment baby <laughs> with everyone, <laughs> but everything has been going, like I say, perfectly great because I, when I talked to Dr. Shaw, he did tell me that it was, uh, this was something that she was going to have to deal with for the rest of her life. Uh, he gave me the, the facts straight up. It wasn't no, we'll see what we can do and how it works from there. He sat down and he let me know everything before he started. Um, and I was like, okay, so will you be able to do it? And he was like, yeah, we're going to get her in. And I mean, he got her right in. He did it. And I was so nervous and scared. I was like, I don't know how long my baby's going to be under. I don't know how long I'm going to deal with this. And I believe we, I walked maybe, I was going maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And he came passing me going back to his office. And I'm like, he can't be done that fast. <laughs> and he smiled and he waved. And I got back in and my mom said, oh, they've called. Ari's ready. She can go home now. And I'm oh, like, go oh, home. They just started. And she's like, no. I said, because I thought I walked past her doctor. She was like, oh, yeah. He was. He's going back to his office. He'll see her in his office tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. But. She came out like a champ. She woke up. We went home. You know, it was probably a little irritation here uh, with the drops. Like I say, the drops, like he say, the drops are an everyday thing. She she has uh, two series of drops she gets. Um, you can actually tell when the pressure is up in her eye because her eye gets kind of big and you can notice the difference. So um, we know when that takes place. Uh, you have to kind of, I tell her, she has to rest her eyes. Uh, children of this generation, everything is uh, electronics, electronics, electronics. So we're trying to monitor her time on her devices, her iPad or TV time, you know, not to strain her eye. Um, she she uh, does patch sometimes. And that was another thing with her, the patching, uh, no little kid wants to walk around looking like a pirate. And that was her thing. She was like, I, I don't want this on, mom. I I can't I can't see like this. And so it, it was just it's all been a, a, a process, but it's been worth it. I, I really can say it's been worth it because she has she strained me in ways that I didn't even think <laughs> I'd be able to be strong in. Uh well, you sound like you're you're a great match for her to help her um, on this journey. But we keep talking about her. Can we talk to the star of this show, Mom? Sure. Let me see <laughs> if I can get her merged on. Hold on one moment. Okay. Okay. Well, when there's Ari. 
Hi, Ari. How are Hi, you? Hello. Good. Good. My name is Lori. I'm Joey. And I'm Sarah. And we were just talking about Hi. you, Miss Ari. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> how old are you? Five. Five. Wow. Do you go to school? Yes, ma'am. What's your favorite thing to do at school? Sit. You like to sit? Mm-hmm. You, don't uh, like, you don't like to go running and jumping? <laughs> I think she's saying paint. Oh, oh you like to you paint. paint. Mm-hmm. Oh. You like to paint? Do you paint like unicorns or what do you paint? Um, I like to say a butterfly. Oh, those are beautiful. I love butterflies. So Ari, tell us, what do you want to be when you grow up? Police officer. Ooh. She wants to serve and protect. We love that. Ari, we've been talking about your eyes. How are your eyes today? Good. Good. Can you see? Mm-hmm. Do you wear glasses? Yes, ma'am. You do? What color are they? Purple and pink. Oh, oh those are my favorite yes. colors. <laughs> I love too. it. I love it. Um, does sometimes you have to wear a patch on your eye mm-hmm. to yes, take ma'am. care of it? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Good. It's to help protect your eye, huh? Well. Yeah. You have brothers and sisters that you help take care of? Mm-hmm. What are their names? Mm. Mom says you're a great helper. Is that true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you like a little mama? Mm-hmm. Yeah, growing up big. We appreciate you talking to us, Ari. We're thinking you're going to be a great police officer. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. I love it. Thanks for talking to us. She wants to put on that shy face today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you, at five years old, I was uh, deathly shy, so I wouldn't have been able to even do what she did. So she was great. (laughs) So Delaria, we love her. Uh, She sounds like a little character. I love it. Um, So what do you see for her um, in the future? We know there's a lot of care, a lot of maintenance, um, but you're in it to win it, right? So what do you see for her her future? I think her future is going to be bright. We're going to push, going to continue to push her to do things um, that they may say she may not be able to do. Um, and just let her let her be a kid and let her grow up. Um, she still, I know I'm kind of nervous when she does things because it's always, or oh, you can't do that, don't hit your face. Don't need you to hit your face. So, uh, but she still, she flips, she jumps on the trampoline. She just, she just flat out does everything that she wants to do. So just going to continue to push her uh, to her limit. All in honor of her hero. We love that. Kyle, um, if you're still on, can you tell us where we can find more information, learn more from you guys? Yeah, thanks. Um, Yeah, just at southerneyebank.org. It's pretty simple. Um, You know, we definitely have there. And then you can also go to the... um, the local website we have a link uh, based on your guys's website as well yeah southerneyebank.org thanks to you both and thanks to ari for being on the gifted life podcast and we are excited to watch this girl grow up the things she will do thank you guys for having us thank you <laughs> <laughs> On The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Yes, we do. And I'm very anxious to find out because this is one near and dear to my heart. 
the antidote to stress. What is it? Tell us. Stress is near it. You like stress? The antidote is. Yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, listen, we're all stressed. We all experience stress, right? And especially if you're working, you've got families. It's just something that I feel like has become so normal in our lives. Like every day, I feel a little bit of stress at a different point. So let's talk about some ways that we can relieve that. Um, Some research-based ways we can relieve that. So, oh, well, then I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I just want feel good. Give us the science. <laughs> okay, so we have some, we've always kind of known in our society how therapeutic laughter is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a researcher, a scientist, a therapist to know that laughter makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. But we have some new research that shows how therapeutic it really is, especially for stress. Um, there's even some research, some new research that's suggesting it's as therapeutic as adjunct talk with therapy mm-hmm. or pharmaceutical methods. So like oh. anxiety medication, like it could be as therapeutic as these things, which we know are effective. Mm-hmm. So a lot of therapists are starting to um, dabble in laughter therapy, which is just meeting with groups and watching something funny together and laughing together, being in a community and just laughing. And it really helps with stress. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but if I'm stressed out and I go home, I want to watch like The Office Mm -hmm. or something that I know is going to make me laugh and feel good. And it works. Mm -hmm. Or just hanging out with some friends and just good belly laughs about like nothing. Nothing. Yes. Yes. You know those good friends where you can just sit down and talk and you're just laughing. You're reminiscing and you're just giggling. And And when you can't breathe and you're crying, those are my favorites. Yes. Because you just forget everything for a minute. Yeah. yeah, The only negative impact is like your face hurting from laughing so hard. Right. (laughs) It's funny. So I had this conversation real brief. On the same note, so last night, my, my uh, Blakely's been sick. Your she baby. Had 100, my baby. She's got had 103 fever. So, uh, you know, so that was the day before. So yesterday when I got home with her, she was a little bit better. And I'm playing around, tossing her. And, and my wife's like, what are you doing? She's sick. And I said, laughter is going to help cure uh, her quicker. And me. And, and, and me. And, and me. Too. And me. So I, I know from listening to Sarah all these uh. years how, how impactful uh, laughter is. Well, it's true. And when you feel better, when you're laughing, like your body just like it does. It responds. Yeah. yeah. So go laugh. If you're stressed out, spend time with friends, go watch something funny, a comedian. I mean, there's so much available to us on YouTube, Netflix, like they have all those comedy specials, which I love. So go watch something funny, laugh, and you'll feel better. I like that. Tell something funny right now, Joe. (laughs) Tell us a joke. (laughs) But your laugh made me laugh. So I like it. All right. You have something you want us to cover here? Info at thegiftedlife.org. For our question and answer segment today, we're bringing in an expert. Yes, we are. All right. We still have Kyle uh, on from Southern Eye Bank. So uh, a question that we get quite often here at LOPA is, uh, how long will a corneal transplant last in a recipient? I know it's different for each recipient, so if you can touch on that. Yeah, great question. Uh, The uniqueness about cornea transplant is there's no blood typing to be needed or male to female match, or even right to left, uh, the corneas can be interchanged. And the cornea is uh, avascular, meaning there's no, there's no blood system to uh, vessels to go to it. So uh, as long as the cells are healthy on the donor uh, tissue and once transplanted, and if the patients are compliant with uh, 
just the most operative follow-ups and their medications that the cornea is going to stay around as long as the patient's alive. That's uh, the beauty of it. It's, uh, it's, it's just a great piece of tissue in the human body that can survive really well at post-transplant. Great. So no, no rejection stuff like, like mm-hmm. you'll see in kidneys and hearts and, you know, the, the, right. the solid organs. Yeah. So that's I mean, there's, great. there's always, there's always that small percentage right now. Uh, the uh, success rate for acquiring transplants in the high 90%. So again, there's some, there's some outliers there and some factors that maybe the cornea didn't get uh, seeded right, or maybe even manipulated too much. And so uh, it just, there's the cells on, at the cellular level begin to die, and there may be a possibility where another transplant would have to happen. Gotcha. Well, if you want to learn more about the amazing gift of sight, you can visit our Lopez resource page. Or if you have a question for us, go ahead and give us a call at 504-648-3477. In every episode of the Gifted Life podcast, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Joseph Francis. And we learn about Joseph from his family. He was such a character, and you can never replace him. I do hope that the recipients who receive his organs will have that chance to live life once again to its fullest and to the best of their abilities. This was a day that was a very hard day to make the decision, but we know it was the best thing to do, and that was to donate his organs. I want you to know that it makes me feel very good to know that my uncle lives on. His death was a very difficult thing to process on such short notice. My uncle had on his identification card that he wanted to be an organ donor. He was always willing to help someone. He was the type of man that would always put his needs last to help someone. He could not stand to see anyone be taken advantage of. He knew no strangers. When you met him, it was as though you knew him your whole life. He always welcomed everyone. He was one of a kind. He loved life. He enjoyed working in the yard, building bonfires, listening to music, planting, and building things. We are just blessed to know that he lives in others and gave them a chance at life. He loved life to its fullest, and I know he is proud to give this to someone in his place here on earth. My family hopes that for all the ones who received his organs, that you live so many more blessed years with your family. If you would like to read more about Joseph, visit lopa.org backslash quilts. And now we pause and say thank you to Joseph for the gift of life. And that is episode 175 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, you can always register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org. And thanks to Ms. DeLaria, uh, and especially for bringing Ari on. How cute that was, was that? Loved she it. was amazing. Mm-hmm. And such a transformation, such a bright kid. I mean, she was so animated and mm-hmm. she was such a sweet kid. I love that big old thank you out there. I know. <laughs> and also, special thanks to Kyle Maven for coming on, uh, the executive director for Southern Eye Bank, to give us, shed some light on glaucoma and the differences and everything, exactly what Ari was, was dealing with. Yeah, tell your friends how to find us, guys, thegiftedlife.org. That's the best place to find us and other podcasts. Yep, you can listen to any of our episodes on our website or Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. If you do listen on Apple, go ahead and give us a five-star rating. 
Review us, subscribe so that others can find our podcast. On social media, our Facebook page, The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We hope that you tell your friends. Uh, We hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Have a good one. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Troy Perez.